This morning we are continuing in Luke. Uh, we're going to be reading from two chapters today, chapter 6 and chapter 9. Uh, so I invite you to turn to Luke 6, and as you do so, I'll, I want to sort of bring us back up to speed as to where we've been so far in Luke's gospel. You remember two weeks ago, we saw and looked at the passage where Jesus um, goes to the synagogue and preaches from Isaiah's prophecy and takes that uh, as his mantle, kind of declares that to be his own mission. And then last week, we heard uh, about the calling of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, uh, as they put their nets out to catch fish, and this miracle of the fish, which was really a, a foreshadowing of a greater miracle that would come uh, at the hands of these disciples as they're empowered by the Lord Jesus. So... In the, in the time between where we were last week and where we are this week, um, the, there is a, two things really begin to happen in Luke's gospel that become clear. There's two converging things happening. One is that the needy and the broken are flocking to Jesus. They're attracted to him, and they want to, they want to be near him. And secondly, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are becoming increasingly concerned about him. So these two things are coming together, and, and right before uh, Luke 6, 12, what we'll be reading this morning, we read two things in Luke 6, 7, we see that the Pharisees are watching him to see whether he will heal on the Sabbath, that they might find a reason to accuse him. So they're beginning to plot, and then uh, right before our passage, we see that Jesus does indeed heal a man on the Sabbath, and in verse uh, 11... It says that the Pharisees and the scribes, as Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath, they are filled with fury, and they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So this opposition is growing to Jesus, even as his popularity is growing. And that brings us to verse 12, where we'll begin our, uh, our study this morning. So let's pray together. Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to hear you this morning through your word, ask you to be in uh, my speaking and be in our hearing that the words spoken and the thoughts that we meditate upon this morning would be acceptable in your sight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Luke 12, Luke 6, verse 12, we read these words. In these days, Jesus went to, out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor." So I want to pause and think about this passage before we move to chapter 9. <clears throat> Notice then, uh, keep your Bibles open because we're going to be moving, uh, we're going to be reading another passage in a minute. We begin by reading that the, in response to the, this growing opposition to Jesus from the religious leaders, Jesus responds in the very next verse, in verse 12, in these days where this opposition was growing, he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. Luke's gospel is one that emphasizes all throughout the gospel Jesus' prayer life. 
He's, he's talking regularly about how Jesus will go away to the mountain or go away to a quiet place or a desolate region to spend time in prayer. It's an emphasis that Luke, gospel, gives to us. And this is the only time that Luke tells us. And so it's unique that Luke, in the, in the Luke who's interested in Jesus' prayer life, this is the only time he tells us that he prays all night long. He prays all night long. Now, maybe some of us have stayed up all night praying uh, about a presentation, maybe probably worrying about a presentation or a test. Maybe we've stayed up studying all night. But I don't know how many of us have stayed up praying, intentionally praying, seeking the Lord's wisdom all night. Last night, Bethany and I felt like we were up all night because we forgot to turn the heat down. It was really hot. So that if this sermon doesn't make sense at the end, you'll know why. We were up all night, but we were not praying. We were sweating. Jesus is in prayer all night because he is recognizing that the people of God need new leadership. He recognizes that the Pharisees and the scribes not only are not understanding what he's about, but they are setting themselves up in opposition to him and his mission. They are plotting to do him in. So they are proving themselves to be inadequate leaders in the most fundamental way. And so it's right then in verse 12, right after we hear that the Pharisees and scribes are plotting against him. Jesus goes and prays all night and then comes and out of the people following him, his disciples, he, he selects out 12, symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel, this new leadership, a new group of people whom he will call apostles, the 12 whom he named apostles. So I think, I think it's fair to, to infer that this time of prayer all night long was for the purpose of determining who it was that he should select to be the 12. Jesus knew that this decision was a big deal, that these 12 disciples whom he named apostles will have uh, an impact into eternity. They will play a critical role in his, in his plan of salvation. And so with great care and seriousness, he enters into an all-night conversation with his father. And this is the first basic step of following Jesus. And I think by basic, I don't mean simple. I mean fundamental. These are the things that we never uh, get past. And that is that discipleship begins with prayer. But I want to think this morning about how our discipleship is rooted in prayer in a different way than you might think. I don't want to say, look at how much Jesus prayed. Now, don't you think you ought to pray a little bit more? I did say that a minute ago, sort of. But that's not the real point. It's probably true. We probably all should take uh, an example from our model, Jesus, and make time to pray and focus on this critical aspect of our lives. But the point I want to make this morning is that all discipleship, every disciple, their calling is rooted in the prayer of Jesus. So it happens in our passage, but it also happens for all of us. Jesus is one who prays and intercedes for his people. So if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, you can be confident that you have been and are a topic of conversation between the eternal Son of God and his Father. In John 17, 20, Jesus is praying with his disciples at the Last Supper before he goes to the cross, and he prays, at praying for the 12 who are there, the very same 12 that he appointed in our passage this morning. And he says, he's praying for their that God would protect them and sanctify them in the truth. And then he says in verse 20 of John 17, I do not ask for these only, but also for all those who will believe in me 
through their word. So in this moment of the Last Supper, he's praying for all of us, all of those who will believe based on the word of his apostles. And then again in Hebrews 7.25, we learn that Jesus, it says, he said, <clears throat> the writer says, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for his people. And so there's this mystery of how the discipleship, all those who follow Jesus, do so not because we have uh, thought it through and come to a, a wise conclusion, but that the Lord has called us and he has prayed for us since before the foundations of the world. And so the point I want to make is not why we ought to pray, like, oh, we should feel bad about how little we pray and pray more, but that this gives us a reason to pray with great confidence. Because we know that our prayers, as we pray in the name of Jesus, right, it's not just a kind of tagline that we put at the end of our prayers, it's a way of reminding ourselves and connecting ourselves in with the prayer of, prayers of Jesus Christ. We can pray in Christ and know that our prayers are heard not as the sort of halting, failing, faithless prayers that, that they are uh, when we pray them so often, but that they are bound up together with the perfect requests of the perfect Son of God and offered to the Father in Him. So we can have confidence that we are heard because we are sharing, as we pray in Christ, in the ongoing prayer of the Son of God to God the Father, since the Lord lives, always lives to make intercessions for those who are His. So this should, I think, encourage us that the life of following Jesus for every disciple begins in this relationship of prayer between God and the Father, and that, uh, between Jesus and the Father, and that we are invited in to share in that in our own prayer life. Discipleship is rooted in prayer. Jesus appoints the twelve whom he calls apostles. Apostles means sent ones. It's, it's interesting. Disciples means a student, one who follows after a teacher and learns from them. And then an apostle is one who is sent out to represent and speak for someone. And so the disciples here are both disciples and apostles. And he proceeds to disciple them in the next few chapters as to what their mission will be. So we won't read chapter 6 and 7 and 8, but what you would see if you did read that is a steady refrain of teaching and healing. Teaching and healing. This is what Jesus does. He teaches the multitudes, and then he heals a Roman servant and a widow's son. He teaches John the Baptist's disciples, and he forgives a sinful woman. He teaches a great crowd, and he heals a man tormented by spirits and a woman tormented by disease. This teaching and healing, teaching and healing, is what we have in these three chapters. And then if you'll flip over to Luke 9, 1, we read this. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Teaching and healing. The mission of Jesus is what he empowers his disciples to do in their own mission, teaching and healing. He sends them on a mission. This is the second basic step of following Jesus. If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to remember that it, it begins in Jesus. It begins in Jesus calling and prayer for us. And it is sustained all the way through by us being sent. Disciples are always sent out into the world to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal, to do exactly what he has been doing. It starts with the 12, but in Luke 10, he sends out 72, 
to do the same thing. And then at the end of Matthew and in the beginning of Acts, he commissions all of his disciples and he sends his spirit upon them, fills every believer with the spirit and sends them all out to be about this work in the world. And so we should always remember that what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple is also to be sent by him. So there's this balance between discipleship and apostleship. They're, they're two sides of the same coin. Christians seek to follow after Jesus and learn from him, but we don't do that just so that we can know more and learn more and understand more and feel better about ourselves. That is, we are being built into so that we will then build into others. We are being served in Christ that we might serve others as his apostles. We are being taught as his disciples that we might proclaim as his apostles. And this, in verse 6 we see, the teaching and healing are exactly what the disciples do on this, we might call it a short-term mission trip. They departed and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So Jesus truly empowers them to be about his really remarkable mission and ministry. The twelve really do participate in teaching and in healing. So what about us? Is this, is this also what we are called to do? Is this our mission as well? And how would it look if it, if it did? I think it's surely the case that our, our discipleship and apostleship are united. We are just the same as these disciples called to follow Jesus and sent to serve him. The call, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, is not just for Peter and James and John, it's for all of us. But how might it look in our context, this balance of discipleship and apostleship? Well, here are some examples of how it might look. It might be a, a, an intentional commitment to prioritize our study of God's word to really seek out answers, to really understand, to really be able to articulate what we believe about the faith. This would be in keeping with our discipleship, right? This would be trying to learn from our master, studying God's word and in a serious and, and, and intentional way. But we do that not so that we become Bible scholars who are filled with knowledge. We do this so that we are equipped to then be sent as apostles out into the world to explain and defend and proclaim the Christian faith. This is what it means to be following, to be sent out into the world to proclaim the kingdom of God. It, it is rooted in discipleship, but it, is not, it does not end with our discipleship. We are sent out then to proclaim that faith and speak about it. It might look like this. It might look like a, a, an intentional and sacrificial reduction in our standard of living, in our expenses, uh, in obedience with our disciples, in, in keeping with our Discipleship. The Lord tells us that there is a great spiritual danger with accumulating lots of material possessions and wealth. So as disciples who are learning from him, we, we seek to take that lesson in and do it in our own lives, but we can match it then with our apostleship by being freed up to be more generous, to give to the cause of mission and evangelism in the world. So that way our discipleship leads into and feeds into our apostleship. It could mean setting our alarm 30 minutes early so that we can spend some uninterrupted time in prayer. This would be in keeping with our discipleship, following Jesus, getting to know him better. But we can use that time to be praying for the world, for people who don't know the Lord, for people who need healing. I asked myself as I was studying this passage, is it really the case that, that, 
Jesus' disciples are going to be healing people. And uh, as I studied it, I came to the conclusion that, that yes, uh, we are to be about proclaiming the kingdom of God and we are to be about healing. Now, none of this is in our control. Proclaiming the kingdom of God isn't any easier than healing if you think about it. But um, we are called to both. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul speaks of the gift of healing as being something that is given to the church, uh, not just to the apostles, not just to these 12 disciples, but, but to everyday people. James chapter 5 actually commands it that the church would, uh, if we are in need, uh, if we are sick, we are invited to come to the church and have the elders pray for us. So it seems that um, healing is to be a part of our life. It's to be about, about what we do, our teaching and our healing. Now, of course, uh, healing is not something that is just uh, an automatic power that we get, that we can use at our will, uh, nor is healing um, physical only. There is emotional healing, there is relational healing, there is spiritual healing, but yes, there is physical healing too. This is what the church is to be about. I just heard a testimony yesterday of a, of a man who described um, being set free from an, an addiction to, um, to immoral internet usage. He struggled with this for 15 years, and he described that he had been healed of it. He spoke, uh, he spoke about it as a healing, and as he spoke of it, he wept as he remembered uh, and wept with gratitude that he had been set free and healed. And so we as a church, we should not diminish the healing ministry that, seek, that God seeks to do among us. We shouldn't minimize it and, and expect it to only work in certain ways, nor should we think that it's only something for way back then. The Lord wants to heal us. He wants to heal our hearts, and he wants to heal our bodies even today. And amazingly, he wants to use us and our prayers to do that. Of course, this, this process of being, of following Jesus as his disciple and participating in his mission as his apostles, there are two sides of the same coin, and, and that coin, we might say, is, is intentionality. Neither of these things will happen unless disciples respond to the call. It's, everything we do is rooted in God's call to us. The disciples are chosen because Jesus spent all night praying for them. But the disciples did need to respond. Peter, James, and John did need to leave their nets behind and leave their belongings and follow, actually follow with their feet, walking after him. And these disciples who are sent out among the villages, they actually needed to decide, okay, we're going to go. We're going we're to do what he says. And so this doesn't happen accidentally. We will not grow in our faith. We will not understand how to speak about our faith more effectively, more persuasively, more faithfully, if we aren't going to decide to study. We are not going to grow in our prayer life if we don't carve out time for prayer. We're never going to find the answers that we have uh, to the questions we have about Scripture if we don't seek out those answers. We, as disciples, need to respond to the call of Jesus Christ and see how our lives can be shaped into this mission of Proclaiming the kingdom of God and healing. So we might ask ourselves this morning and in, in, the, in the rest of the day, in the rest of the week, what, how, how are we going to tangibly respond to this call, which comes to us as well? How are we going to tangibly, in a practical way, leave behind certain things and embrace certain things so that our lives are shaped by this kind of discipleship and apostleship, being drawn closer into Jesus, being, um, understanding his teaching more, and then 
going out into the world and doing what he has been doing. What do we need to embrace and what do we need to leave behind in this process? So we've seen that discipleship is, is rooted in prayer. We see that disciples are, are sent in mission. This is always the case. These are foundational aspects of following Jesus. And the third point this morning is that um, we must never forget at any point in our discipleship, in our life of following Jesus, that disciples are always dependent. And I think this is what we see here in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 9, the part I sort of skipped over, where Jesus says to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from that house depart. Wherever they do not receive you when, they leave, when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. There's a lot we might say about this, but the thing I want to say is that on this great and glorious mission in which disciples of Jesus are sent as apostles, um, Jesus gives these specific instructions that if followed will always remind the disciples that they are depending on God every day of this mission. That it's never about them. They never have the ability to do it on their own. They are constantly requiring God to provide for them and to make a way for them. And as it was for them, so it is for us. These disciples are called to bring no provisions. They're called to, they don't call ahead for any reservations at the inn in the town ahead. They are instead to live day by day in conscious dependence upon the providence of God, the one who has called them and sent them. And part of this is that they, they live by a faith that God will not send them to a place where he will not uphold them and provide for them. And so disciples, no matter where we are in the journey of faith, we always are invited to remember that we, we, are, we are depending on God. It is never, it never, we never reach a place where we are somehow able to do it on our own. Disciples are always in a posture of dependence on God, even when we are participating in the great and glorious mission of proclaiming this new king and healing. Even then, these disciples needed someone to give them a meal at the end of the day. But the beauty of this is that if you think about it, this dependence on God is actually true freedom. Utter dependence on God is utter independence from our circumstances and from the approval and affirmation of others. And in, so in their dependence, these disciples are truly free. This, this idea, this statement of wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. There are several levels to what that means, but one of them is, is this wonderful um, independence. These disciples, they don't need to worry about being rejected. That on this mission, they will be rejected at times. But they are, they are set free from worrying about that. They are merely to shake the dust off their feet and keep moving on the mission on which God has sent them. And it's so, so often the case, isn't it, today, that, that so many of us are held captive by the opinions and approvals, approval and affirmations of people around us. We spend so much of our time trying to impress and please. And actually, so much of our mission is reduced because we're so afraid that we will be rejected. So maybe we don't pray as, as, as deeply as we could or as boldly as we could because we're afraid it, it won't work. Or we don't speak as boldly or as often as we might because we're afraid people will think that we are strange. But here Jesus tells his disciples, oh yes, you're going to be rejected. But don't worry. Keep going. Keep going, and I will be with you. Just keep moving on and shake that dust off your feet. 
So it's an invitation, actually, to us to place ourselves as disciples completely in dependence upon God. And when our lives are lived in dependence upon Him, we are set free from all that would hold us captive in the world. So we're, I think we're invited to ask ourselves, reading these two passages of the beginning of the ministry of these disciples, um, to ask ourselves, what is, how, in what way is Jesus calling and sending us this morning? What is He calling us to do, and where is He sending us to, where, to whom, and where is He sending us to serve Him? There might be ways that He's calling us to connect our own uh, discipleship more intentionally with our service in the world. There might be ways where He's calling us to to emphasize our discipleship so that we might better serve him in the world. But this requires a decision, as it did for James and John and Peter and all of the disciples. They actually had to believe and go out with no provisions into the village and there find that their Lord was faithful. So how might be the Lord calling us as he, how is he calling us to follow and how is he sending us in mission? It will look different for each of us we are each in individual places and in individual times in our lives and our walk, but he is calling all of us. And so let us, as it begins in prayer, let us go to prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us these things. Dear Lord, we, we do acknowledge that there are ways in which we have failed to connect the call to follow you and to serve you, and there are ways in which we have shrunk from this great calling. And we pray that you would empower us as you empower these disciples to serve you and to follow you and to trust in you completely and to pray in Christ and in your name to be about, about your work of proclaiming the kingdom of God and all that that means and to be about the work of healing those who are broken around us and all that that means. We can't do this without you. We are utterly dependent upon you. And so we place ourselves before you and ask you to show us the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand and sing our...